You're listening to the Clean Water Made Easy podcast, episode number one. Hey folks, hope your day is going good. My name is Jerry Bullfin. I'm a water treatment contractor and WQA certified master water specialist. I'm owner and founder of cleanwaterstore.com. And I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Hey, thanks for listening. You're in the right place if you want to learn more about well water, well water treatment systems, and how to improve the quality of your well water. If you're experiencing stains, sediment, scale buildup, corrosion, or odor in your water, or if you've had your water tested and it came back with a positive test for coliform bacteria, this podcast series is for you. Or maybe your water tastes and smells great, but you just want to find out more about wells and water quality. Each episode in this series is broken down into an area or topic that you can listen to each one individually, or you can jump around and listen to the ones that pertain most to your application. This series is primarily about well water treatment, but also touch on rainwater and spring water as well. In this episode, we're going to cover the basics of how water wells work, and also go over how to disinfect and sanitize your well. I also have a free gift for you, a well water cheat sheet and resource guide that I can send you. I created this guide as a companion to today's podcast to make it easy to follow along with. And it has a well water treatment cheat sheet as well as an exploded view of how a typical well works. Pretty nice diagram illustration. It also has a flow rate calculator guide so you can easily estimate what your well water flow rate is. And a step-by-step guide on how to sanitize your well. If you'd like to get your free copy, just text the word well water, all one word, well water, to 44222 or go to cleanwaterstore.com slash podcast and get it there. We'll get it going to you. Okay, a little bit about myself. I started in well water back in 1989 and I've owned several companies in the water business and I'm the founder and CEO of cleanwaterstore.com where we sell custom water treatment systems. I have a California state contractor's license for water treatment, and I'm certified by the Water Quality Association as a master water specialist, as well as a certified installer. I also trained and worked for many years as a state licensed water treatment plant operator and distribution operator. And we operated numerous small community water systems around Northern California. I also wrote a book on well water treatment. It's called The Definitive Guide to Well Water Treatment. And as you might guess, I just really love well water and talking all about uh, well water and well water quality. You know, we have customers on well water in all 50 states. And I've had the fun and good fortune to be involved with installation and projects involving water treatment in many countries as well. Our custom systems are used by the U.S. government in various embassies and military bases worldwide. Uh, We're also in a lot of state and national parks and also donated many systems and worked on projects for various water charities and church groups supporting small communities, hospitals, schools, mostly Mexico, Central South America, and Southeast Asia. I've been a member for many years of the American Water Works Association, the National Groundwater Association, the Water Quality Association, and other water-related groups. Okay, what is groundwater? It's kind of amazing to think about it, but according to the National Groundwater Association, 47% of the U.S. population depends on groundwater for its drinking water supply. Of that 47%, many get their water from private wells. 
You know, groundwater is just the water that soaks into the soil from rain or other precipitation and moves downward to fill cracks, another opening in beds of rock and sand. It's a renewable resource, although the rate at which it can be renewed varies greatly. You know, here in California, we just had a fabulous winter with a tremendous amount of rain coming out of years of drought. And so our aquifers are being recharged now. And this is true in a lot of other states as well that it's just coming out of a long drought. It's groundwater is really an abundant natural resource. Of all the fresh water in the world, not including the ice caps, 95% is groundwater. Surface water, lakes and rivers, make up only 3% of our fresh water. Scientists estimate U.S. groundwater reserves to be at least 33,000 trillion gallons. That's equal to the amount of water discharged in the Gulf of Mexico by the Mississippi River over the past 200 years. Groundwater is naturally filtered by the earth that holds it. It can, however, become contaminated by pollution that comes into contact from the earth's surface. So, how does it get there? Water from rain and snow fall three main paths. Some water evaporates from the Earth's surface into the air or is breathed out by vegetation and returns to the Earth's atmosphere. But some water runs off into streams, lakes, and ocean. Some water filters into the ground. There, it can flow to the surface as springs and move into surface water or, importantly, recharge the groundwater deep in the Earth. Then, groundwater moves into these large underground natural storage areas known as aquifers. As the groundwater moves through the ground, it dissolves some of the minerals that it comes in contact with. So if you think about it, rain is mostly pure water, but as it's falling in the atmosphere, it picks up carbon dioxide. And this carbon dioxide, when in water, forms carbonic acid, which makes the rainwater slightly acidic. So as this rainwater penetrates the, the ground, it soaks down in, into the aquifer. It comes in contact with the rock in the ground, such as could be limestone or different uh, materials such as iron or manganese. And so it can dissolve some of these minerals out. And that's what gives water its unique chemical characteristic. It varies in the ground depending on what type of minerals it can come in contact with. So what exactly is a drilled well? That's mostly what we'll be talking about. There are hand-dug wells, and this is actually very common in the world. And sometimes they just call them boreholes, but they're just they're hand-dug. They might be shallow. Those are highly prone to contamination. So in, in the U.S. and Canada, what's most common is, is there we have drilled wells, which consist of a, a hole bored in the ground with the upper part being lined with casing. And this casing prevents the collapse of the borehole walls and prevents surface water from entering the water supply. And this casing is near at the lower section of it is has slots in it or what they call a well screen. And the well driller will, after when drilling well, will pick out and decide what type of screen to use depending on the formation of rock. But what it is is that that's where your submersible well pump is down inside this casing. So um, you, that's why it's submersible well pump because it's submerged in the water underneath the water. So this, this, the intake uh, may be an open hole 
in solid bedrock or maybe screen and gravel pack. It depends, again, on the geologic conditions. Once the well is completed, it's pumped to develop the well and determine the yield. The yield is the quantity of water which they measure during the development of it. They usually do it for at least one hour and that they're measuring how much water the well can yield and they 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 start out at 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 a certain they measure how deep the water is then they pump it for an hour then they measure how deep the water is at the end of the hour and they can figure out how fast the water is recharging or filling in the well an important step when the well is drilled or serviced is to sanitize the water so this is what the professional well drillers will do when they're when they're when they're done developing the well one of the last things they often do is they shock it with some chlorine bleach um, a specific amount and so that they sanitize the well because when they're drilling the well there's a chance that they can introduce bacteria into the ground by their well drilling you know, rig and tools so the sanit sanitizing is very important it's true also if you ever have your well worked on you want to make sure that it's sanitized when they're done so as as i was saying most wells use submersible pumps pumps that are down in the water in the casing and pump out to the top but you might have a pump that's on top of the ground which is often called a, a jet pump and those pumps are sucking water usually from a shallow depth so that if you see a pump on top of the ground and you hear it running then, then you probably have a shallow well and these types of shallow wells are more prone to contamination so you have to be careful about that most uh, folks we deal with our customers all have submersible well pumps one thing to keep in mind most states and provinces don't regulate or have jurisdiction over your private well serving a single home or farm this puts responsibility for protecting the private well squarely on us the well owner wells have a number of potential sources of groundwater contamination a few of them are one of the most important ones septic system your septic tank you don't want that obviously near the well there's there by law they have to be at least 50 feet away and this varies based on the county but 100 feet is even better but they'll they'll, they'll have a certain amount of feet that's got to be set back from the well but one thing you can have control over is improper waste disposal such as paints lubricants cleaning products pesticide fertilizer storage it's a big one you don't want any of that near your well lawn and garden chemicals these are all things you know oil these are all things that you want to avoid having anywhere near your well the other thing is that's a little can be a little trickier to figure out is is there an abandoned well nearby this can be contaminating the water as well pretty unusual but it does happen there's a lot of abandoned wells if they're not properly um, sealed and filled with usually they fill them with concrete to seal them off then that can cause serious problem underground storage tanks underground fuel storage tanks in particular um, we've seen it happen several times where folks will say gosh you know i've got this all of a sudden i've got oil in my water and it's literally petroleum oil you know that comes back from the lab it's actual oil and so they, it's kind of a mystery well it turns out they have a underground fuel storage tank from say the 1950s or many years ago they didn't even know it was there and then finally it corroded and leaked now they've got the problem so that's something that this can be a little harder to determine but 
Those are all things that can cause some issues with contamination. Another one which we get a lot of calls on are hydrofracking, hydrofracking operations. Fracking operations drill very deep. So they're usually way below where your where the aquifer is, thousands of feet below actually. So on the one hand, theoretically, they shouldn't cause any problems because they're drilling so deep. But in because there's so many of them now, in fact, there are problems with some of them. It's probably a very small percentage. It varies by state and area. I have no idea exactly what the percentage is. It's a small percent. But there are quite a few folks that have problems that started after the hydrofracking went in where they have methane, hydrogen sulfide, or they have um, other water quality issues that come up. So that's something to watch out for. If, if, you're in, if you have a well in an area of hydrofracking, it's not something to necessarily panic over, but it's something you might want to do periodic testing of your well for petroleum products and heavy metals. Okay, so older wells in shallow aquifers are more likely to be contaminated. Like I said, if you have a jet pump, it's probably old, and you have a shallow well, those are more likely to be contaminated. Deeper wells pass through a restrictive or impermeable layer that decrease the rate at which the surface water reaches the aquifer. How do you figure out what you've got? Well, a really good way to go about it is talk to the well driller, especially if you've bought your home and you see his, his sticker on your, your well control box, um, you can call him, look and get your well log. You probably have a well log that came with the deed. If you don't, you need to get your well log and have it with you. And I mean, have it in your, in your, in your records, because the, that gives you a, uh, a record of what happened when the well was drilled, how deep it is, what sort of strata they went through and what the yield test was that's that should all be in that well log so uh, most of the well drillers are very nice they're very happy to give it to you if they don't have a copy of it you can often get it from your state or county uh, department they'll they'll often have a copy of it too because it's it has to be submitted with the permit um there it varies depending on the state but there's um, there's the State Department of Natural Resources, but I would start by just calling your local or county health department and ask them, what, what can I do to get more information on my well and where, where I can go? There's also the uh, co-op extensions, um, but I would first start with the well driller um, and then go from there. Uh, so having the well log is gives you a really good idea and something that's you get additional information on if you especially if you're having problems with your well you can get additional information from your well well drill get like a background information like maybe the water was great originally but developed iron bacteria over time or or the water quality deteriorated it's very common because wells get old and different things happen there's drought there's floods too to access water is another problem with contamination but so that's a good good thing to do Okay, so in terms of the actual contamination of your well, we talked about that a little bit. You want to make sure your septic tanks and sewer lines are at least 50 feet away. And some counties have greater setback requirements. Um, one very common thing to do is to, is, is to have a problem with coliform bacteria in your well because your well cap is missing or it's cracked or broken 
or there's some loose fittings on top of your well. So this is something you can easily do yourself. Even if you still, you know, want to get a professional involved and talk to your well driller or contractor, you can just literally look at the top of your well. There shouldn't be any loose fittings around the well. Of course, if there's loose wires, you have to be careful because there's high voltage there, 220 volt usually. So, but if you see like the top of the well has cracks in it or uh, there's caps missing, that's very serious. So that's where very common to get coliform bacteria in your water from that. So the first step in proper management of your existing private well is to do an annual test for total coliform bacteria. This is the EPA recommends this, World Health Organization recommends this, and most well professionals will recommend an annual test for bacteria and nitrate. There are home kits available. You, you, you can't use a home kit if you're going to submit this information in any kind of, like for banks, for financing. It's not certified, but if you just want to get an idea, yes, you can get an, a home test kit for that. But especially if you're new to the home or if you're testing and hasn't been tested in some years, a, a local certified lab is very good. If you can't find a local certified lab to do the testing, you can also send the test away to a lab. We use uh, national uh, testing labs. Their water check is a really good value. Considering what you get for it, it's pretty low cost. And they, they you can test for uh, bacteria, a complete general mineral, physical, along with pesticides, herbicides, heavy metals. So it gives you a really good idea of of all kinds of different contaminants. Uh, but sometimes local labs are good to get tested for too because you can talk to those guys and they have a lot of experience in your area. Now, if your well test positive for coliform bacteria, a sanitary well cap might help solve the problem. Um, but you, you, you need to find out what the source of the bacteria is. You can't just test for bacteria and then shock chlorinate it and just forget about it. You've got to you know, unless you, you, you can determine that, that there was a problem with contamination, like maybe your well had been worked on recently. And so you can sanitize your well and then retest for bacteria after that. Then, you know, if you test it periodically, you're good to go. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of well professionals. I know the National Groundwater Association and some uh, county extension agents, they, they don't recommend folks doing their own well sanitizing, even though it's like every, it's commonly done. But the reason they don't like you to do it yourself is because sometimes people put too much bleach in or they don't put enough in, they don't do it right. So you have to do it basically correctly. So you, if you put too much chlorine bleach, if you just dump gallons of bleach down your well, that can really have a negative effect on your well. It can wreck your pump, your check valve, it can, it can corrode wires, it can do different things. So the important thing is you want to have between one and 200 parts per million of bleach. It's not that hard. If you know your well depth or you can estimate it, it's not that hard. And you follow the, the charts. It's not that hard to do your own well sanitizing. But just to get an idea what it is, you're adding enough bleach so that you have one to 200 parts per million of chlorine residual in the water. Then you're recirculating this water by running a garden hose so it gets going through the household pipe and you, you run it back down the well. You put it over to the well where you added the bleach to begin with. And so you got water circulating in the well, going through the pipes and going back down the well. 
once you've got the this chlorine chlorinated water circulating you turn everything off shut the well pump off and let it sit for at least eight hours 12 hours is good and then you retest at that point if you have less than 10 parts per million of chlorine left then you want to do the procedure over again so that means that there's extreme high chlorine demand in the water and it used up all that chlorine so you probably bacteria problem or some kind of serious demand so the, and the, they have those high level chlorine test kits they're inexpensive so that makes it very convenient um, a lot of folks just you know they often add like say a half a gallon or one gallon of bleach inside into like 30 40 gallons of water and pour that down the well so it's it's a good idea to follow the chart and to know how much chlorine you can use uh, powdered bleach too, but the we find the liquid bleach works good. Peroxide doesn't work good for sanitizing well, so really bleach is the way to go. And you can run the water out on the ground, out of a hose bib, so you don't, one, have to suffer through days or weeks of heavily chlorinated water in the house. And also, you don't want to run a lot of chlorinated water down into your septic tank either. So you can just flush the water, run it to till a test zero parts per million or there's no odor or smell of chlorine in there or taste of chlorine and then you can um, wait like a couple weeks and then retest for coliform bacteria and see where you're at in the meantime if you do have a positive test for coliform either regular coliform or e coli which is more dangerous fecal coliform obviously you don't want to drink the water you could boil it but you have to even be careful bathing in it. If you have kids, especially, you get infection. Okay, so what other things should we test for? Well, what we recommend is that you, you want to take a look around where you live. If you live in a remote area and there's no heavy agriculture or industry, freeways, highways, you know, nearby your home, then you can do nitrate, uh, bacteria, and just a general mineral analysis. Like said before, if you're if you're new to the well, it's not a bad idea to do a exhaustive test for pesticides, herbicides, and also heavy metals, arsenic, and then also radon. Radon is a gas that's odorless, that is very dangerous. And so you, that's another test. It's a good idea to do at least once. Um, this again, you can find out. Maybe your area, there is no radon. Maybe you're in an area where there's a lot of radon. So it just depends on the, 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 the strata, what's down in the ground, to determine if you're going to have much radon or not. So you want to get your well tested or tested yourself at least once a year for bac coliform bacteria, nitrate, dissolved solids, pH, and hardness. We recommend those because you can keep a baseline every year you do your test for Coliform, nitrate, dissolved solids, pH, and hardness. And that's the minimum number of tests you want to do. But if you do that once a year, over a period of years, you can start to track, hey, what's happened? My dissolved solids is going up in my ground. Are the waters getting harder? You know, in other words, the, the groundwater is changing. So that's good to know. If you see a decline in water quality or you spec contamination from local sources, like I said, you may need to do a more thorough investigation. Okay, the other thing you want to do is do a flow rate test. Flow rate test tells you how many gallons per minute your well pump's putting out. And that's 
that's something we're going to talk about in the next pod, next podcast episode. Um, very easy to do. It's really good to know how many gallons per minute your well pump is pumping, especially if you're looking into water treatment systems in order to size them or you want to get a water filter. Really good to know how many gallons a minute you got. Okay, so let's go over the most important points in this episode. One, check your well cap. Make sure there's no cracked or loose fittings. Check around the top of your well. Make sure there's no potential source of contamination. Try to keep your any potential source of contamination 50 to 100 feet away at least. Test your water annually for bacteria and nitrate, but also test for a general mineral analysis such pH, hardness, dissolved solids, and then keep a record year to year so you can spot changes in your groundwater. If you suspect more serious contamination, get an exhaustive test done for pesticides, herbicides. The prices have really come down. It's not as expensive as it used to be. And if you want to get a copy of our well water treatment cheat sheet and resource guide, then just text the words well water to 44222, or you can go to the cleanwaterstore.com slash podcast and get a free copy there. In the next episode, we're going to go over how you can get a good idea of how many liters or gallons per minute your well pumps. Knowing and periodically measuring the flow rate from your well is important to know. And it's also just good to know how your well is working and help for troubleshooting pressure and flow problems in the house. So thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon.